I read you. Where are you? Flying blind on a rocket cycle. Flying blind on a rocket cycle? And now, my friend, the first rule of Italian driving. What's behind me is not important. Studying, studying, studying. Here comes Cooper out of that outside move again. Cooper, outside. Can he pull him off? Matt Cooper with a brilliant move on the outside. Never seen that done through Mosses. And look at the run that Matt Cooper has. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show of record, the show that matters, and as always, the show that puts you on pole position for news, commentary, and opinion in the world of motorcycle road racing. Yes, you are now back for episode number 55. That would make this the Regis Laconi edition of a Rumble Stripper Radio. As always, I am your host, The Duke. And it is with pleasure that I do welcome you back to the show. Welcome back, of course, to all the, well, long time and newer listeners to the show. And if you are a recent subscriber to the show, and maybe you found us through um, through John Hall over at Live Fast Racing, uh, one of the many people in the Motorcycle Podcast group, welcome to the show. Sit back, relax, enjoy. Rumble Strip Radio, of course, the... Different, uh, different take on things. Sometimes, sometimes a little more on the edge. Sometimes contrarian view. Sometimes, well, it just is what it is. So, ah, Fourth of July holiday time here in the United States, and yesterday was the Fourth of July, and uh, I had some interesting things I was thinking about doing for pre-roll, you know, intro music, outro music. I still may end up doing that outro music. I'll through the show. I'll decide if I'm going to go with it. 99% chance my original choice, which was 4th of July inspired, will will fly. But uh, no show recording yesterday, the Wednesday, mainly because I was suffering from food coma. Now, lately I've been trying to scale back and watch a little bit what I eat. Not necessarily changing the diet, which I need to, but at least, you know, cutting back on what I eat. And uh, well, yesterday was yeah yeah yesterday was sort of a, a relapse. It was um, yeah it took down about half a slab of ribs, a bunch of bunch of uh, baked beans, and a bunch of potato salad, and you know several adult beverages along the way as well. But yeah, it's a holiday. What do you do, right? It's bar it's a barbecue, man. So, anyways, no one wants to really hear about that. Anyway, the show coming out at you today. A lot of stuff to cover. A lot of stuff to cover. So uh, let's get the administrative stuff out of the way. And uh, sorry about that. Of course, the email for all feedback, positive, constructive, whatever it may be. Just check in, just uh, drop a note to say hi. Many of you do do that. Rumblestripperradio at gmail.com. 
That is uh, where you can find us. Uh, well, find us to send email, if anyways. The website where you can find us on the web, uh, www.rumblestripradio.com. And yes, the site is ugly, I know. Bear with me. Once we get through the month of July and the first through the first week of August, let's just say through the first week of August, I'm actually have time to think about things a little bit and figure out what the best way to go about uh, either site redesign, parking it someplace else, and where I can actually have a prettier design. We'll see what happens. But uh, I know the site's ugly, but it's functional, so bear with us for a while on that. But uh, rumblestripradio.com is where you can find us, of course. Uh, if you care to uh, click through the links or do some Google searches off our toolbar, that'd be much appreciated. Kicks a, one or two uh, uh, pennies our way eventually. Uh, Google's up there, uh, the amount of money that you have to bank before they cut you a check, but that's okay. We'll we'll get one of them from, we'll get a check from them one of these days, right? I uh, also do want to encourage you to go buy some Moto Liam gear. Uh, Liam is uh, just about ready to head back to the U.S. in a couple weeks before that happens, but uh, I know he's looking forward to coming back. Uh, some very, very cool limited edition t-shirts. I think they ended up selling out and I didn't get my hands on one. It was a very cool uh, shirt that he was having made for the USGP this year. Anyways, go buy some gear from from Liam. And we'll get our... That's another one of those things I've talked about for a while, but I think once we get through the first week of August, um, I'll have a chance to to concentrate and um, uh, maybe do something for some Rumble Strip Radio gear. So uh, let's get to the news section here. I guess uh, some of the news, and I don't know if I mentioned this last week. I got I don't even know when the hell I even booked this stuff, but Rumble Strip Radio will be at the USGP in some fashion. Yes, finally, it is true. The flight is booked. Uh, we are camping at the track. So uh, the the very lovely, talented, and vivacious Sarah Walker, her family puts up uh, rents one of the spaces, and I guess there's going to be about thirty people in a little compound there. So we'll all be camping out there at the track. And uh, should be fun. I'm, I'm, I've been looking forward to this since, oh man, she mentioned this to me back in March, February, March, April, sometime in that, somewhere in that time frame about about this. And I've been thinking about it for a long time. And well, we're able to finally pull the trigger on that. And we're going to be doing some stuff um, with the group that's camping. I think I'm, I, if, if it even comes out half, I'd say 30% of what I envision this thing could be, it'll be, it'll be pretty good. Anyways, uh, so... Tickets are booked. Actually, frequent flyer miles used. Almost 50,000 almost 50, miles to get out there and back, but hey, what the hell? They weren't, they weren't doing me any good just sitting there, right? Um, our friend Tom Pinky from Pinky's, Tom Bysine from Pinky's Pizza out there in Walnut Creek, he's lending us a motorcycle, so we have transportation. Uh, I have a line on some tickets. Uh, I have applied for press credentials. Not really holding my breath on that one, but... Um, We'll see what happens, especially the, given the fact that the that Reese White, who's who was the uh, PR and media guy for Laguna Seca, just resigned to go work for ALMS. We'll see what happens uh, with that. Maybe we'll sneak in because of it. Who knows? Uh, if not, I do have a backup plan for some tickets. So uh, it's going to cost me next to nothing to get out there, which is the way I like it. Me being the uh, cheap bastard that I am of these days. So food and booze, pretty much, is what it's going to cost me to be out there, and so. Uh, got uh, eight or nine things I want to do while I'm out there. 
at the track that we'll do and we'll have to uh, pace it out a little bit. Maybe some things will be, I don't think we'll be, be able to put anything up from the track because, well, I have no laptop. Um, I'm not sure what uh, internet connect- connectivity is going to be, uh, especially if I don't have uh, uh, media credentials. So, But once we get back, it'll it'll be good and we might end up doing a uh, couple shows a week just for, for catch-up stuff or might do it just an interview show i don't know we'll see we'll see what happens a lot a lot of things stirring in my head and i still got to get a lot of things taken care of before we do that but uh looking forward to moto gp at laguna this year and well we got a little more to talk about usgp in the u.s here um also do want to say if i haven't said i'm sure i've said this before uh, i am headed up a week from tomorrow well i'm recording this on thursday so a week from tomorrow about five in the morning, I'm headed up to Mossport, and we'll be announcing at the Canadian Superbike. Yeah, it's a doubleheader weekend, I believe, there at Mossport. So, uh, any any of my Canadian friends or any U.S. friends who are going up to the to that race, uh, stop in, stop up. I uh, will be in turn two announcing for the weekend. Also, be bombing around in the pits as one of the pit reporters. And uh, any Canadian uh, people up there, if you'd like to. Um, help out by bringing an extra scooter uh, you will get um, many thanks uh, from me and much appreciation i'm still working on that because i got to find something there's no way that i can walk and run and do all that stuff to get to the different places i need to be anyways and uh, we do have some canadian superbike uh, action to talk about here a little bit later uh, other news going on is uh well everyone pretty much knows at this point that Tony Elias broke his leg in practice, broke his femur, and we've heard anywhere. I think we talked, yeah, this was one of the things we mentioned because last Thursday when we recorded because first practice was over or the practice for the day was over on Thursday. This had already happened, Elias out, and the news reports were from 3 to 11 months. Well, it sounds like it's going to be on the shorter end of things based on some of the decisions that uh, Grissini is making right now. Um, First off is that... um, uh, Fabrizio, uh, M- M- Michelle Fabrizio will be uh, riding the Grassini Honda at, uh, as someone on the ride on two board deemed it the sausage ring uh, in uh, a week from, week from, well, week from tomorrow, basically, when MotoGP gets back into action. So I guess he's being the semi-loyal Honda rider is getting a, getting a shot at that. So we'll see. So Michelle Fabrizio for the sausage ring. And then... Oh man, the, the 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 message boards have been burning up, and and I'm actually going to spend some time uh, at the end of the show talking more in depth about this. Uh, other than to say that for now, Miguel Duhamel is a possible replacement rider for uh, Tony Elias at Laguna Seca. Just stick stick by. I, I'm I'm just going to leave it there, and we'll get to my opinion on that but i think you can tell by the tone of my voice where that opinion may be going uh with that but um i don't i don't anyways but the the idea anyways uh with the decision for for uh michelle fabrizio and whoever ends up riding at laguna because nothing has been confirmed at this point is that uh elias may be back for Brno, which would be amazing if he can get healed up because breaking your femur is uh is pretty serious now there are some pictures floating around that are supposedly uh 
legit pictures of uh, of his x-rays before and after the the crash and you know, as usual lots of pins and uh a big titanium rod stuck in his leg so we'll see what happens with that uh, i will be pleasantly surprised if he can make it back how good a shape he's going to be in that's another another story entirely so oh no uh also semi breaking news is that i believe on the 16th uh, is when they're supposedly going to make this announcement. But uh, USGP at Indy in uh, mid-September of next year is supposedly on. Now, this tells me a few things. Number one, this tells me that there will be no F1 USGP at Indy. Uh, two, it tells me that they found a title sponsor. Uh, and that's why this thing's going to happen. Now... When you look at the surface of things, running a MotoGP race makes a whole lot more sense than an F1 race at Indy, and, and I'll give you my reasons why. Number one, uh, Bernie Ecclestone requires anywhere between a 50 and $70 million sanctioning fee, or as some people refer to it, an extortion fee, uh, to bring his circus to your town. And, and it really is almost extortion, uh, and, and I say that because of, of this. F1 comes to you. And let's just say we'll just use Indy or actually any track for any for any track is appropriate here. F1 comes to your track. Uh, they pretty much take up all the signage space um, and have a premium on any free advertising space. And then you have to pay them for any advertising that you bring along as well. So if you're a title sponsor for the for the race, not only do you have to, you know, bring in a lot of money. To be the title sponsor, but you're not going to get much signage space either because everything else is sucked up. So calling this an extortion fee isn't far from the truth. So 50 to 70 million dollars is what Bernie wants to run an F1 race. Yes, it is prestigious in in certain circles and whatever. We'll just say that. So let's just say that it costs you 50 million to bring in. You're going to have a hard time covering those costs from. Uh, title rights sponsors and any other advertising uh, signage that you may be able to put up. Okay. Um, on top of that, you're going to get somewhere between ninety and one hundred and twenty thousand fans to show up on average. It's you know it was down two years ago. This year, not so bad. I'm sure the momentum would go in a year or two. Would be back up to where it was in the one twenty to one fifty range. But let's just go with a hundred to one hundred and twenty thousand people, and you've paid fifty million dollars to get the race. Now, let's bring MotoGP in. Uh, Dorna's uh, price tag is, I believe, about $10 million. Okay, right away, you're $40 million ahead. They have a lot of signage tied up, but nowhere near to the extent that F1 does. Yes, you are tight for where you can put it. I'm not sure what type of fees they charge for for. Uh, signage you may bring to the game, whatever. But let's just say that you can get a title sponsor and some signage for them. $10 million is a whole lot better than $50 million, right? Your worldwide audience, you're not so much concerned with the U.S. I mean, yes, you are, but not so much with the television viewing audience. It's Some, some of it has to do with people who show up, but it's more worldwide television audience for your impression. So we'll just discount some of that because... F1 MotoGP, Moto, F1's ahead of MotoGP, but not by not by leaps and bounds, okay? 
So let's just say now $10 million to get in, and um, it wouldn't be hard to believe that they're going to draw 80,000 people on race day, and let's say 130 to 150,000 for the weekend. Okay, less than F1, but you you're close there now you you're in the, you know your overall gate revenue is not going to be near as much as i don't think you can charge anywhere near what for moto gp that you can for f1 but because of now people you're sitting there scratching your head how the hell are they going to get that many people in real easy because within um 6 hours of driving there is in excess of 30 million people and if you go out to a 12 hour drive which isn't unreasonable 12 hour drive it's a day drive you have in excess of 75 million people to draw from. I mean, it, it's about 10 to 12 hours from Indy to New York City. So think, and, and you know, and then you got New York City, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. That's all about a 10 to 12 hour drive. You can go down to Atlanta for another metro, major metropolitan city. St. Louis, you know, not huge, huge, but still that's very reasonable drive. Chicago, obviously, is only like about four hours. Detroit, five hours. Cleveland about four or five hours, Pittsburgh, you know, there's a lot of people to draw from. And it's th this part of the country is really big for motorcycles. So that's what I'm saying. It Financially, he could be way, way, Tony George could be way, way ahead on this MotoGP thing. So didn't mean to go into this long of a thing. I still think the idea of a MotoGP at that track, uh, yeah, just, mm. but as far as location goes, you can't ask for much better, to be honest. Anyway, and, and for them to move, and traffic is going to be such a non-issue. They're going to be able to move people. I mean, they move 250,000, 300,000 people in and out of there on an Indy 500 day. You cut that by a third, should be gravy. Anyway, so USGP looks like it's on mid-September 2008. Mark your calendars. Um, do want to thank John Hall. I obviously I just publicly thank John Hall because obviously – had many conversations with him since then. He uh, he sent me a couple of books to read, and one of them was a book that Jason Pridmore years ago told, excuse me, told me I needed to read, and that was the um, Carl Fogarty autobiography, just called Foggy. And uh, it was definitely a, a pretty good read, very interesting. Although there are some, uh, I'll just say some obvious. If you know just a little bit about what went on in that era. Um, and a little bit about Foggy. There are some pretty obvious omissions, but, hey, you know, part of writing an autobiography is to, I'm not going to say rewrite history, but let's just say smooth over some history, um, maybe bury some things that happens. But overall, if you get, if you haven't read the book, um, go get it. Um, it's definitely worth a read. Um, I, he sent it to me in, in paperback here, so... I'm sure if it's not at your local Borders or uh, Barnes & Noble, you can get it off of, off of Amazon. He also sent me, um, uh, what is this, The Piranha Club, which is a uh, story about Formula One, which I haven't haven't had a chance to read. Uh, I think I'm going to end up taking it with me to, to uh, Mossport and, and probably to Laguna to read. So um, we'll get to those. But, uh, yeah, definitely read the read the Foggy biography. It's 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 pretty good. The uh, the last little bit here of uh, of news before we jump into some of the action from the past racing action from the past weekend or past week I guess I should say is uh, silly season is in full effect but already some of the dominoes are just about ready to fall 
maybe I can't call him the first domino. It's one of those things. He's not the first that made you know main domino, whichever. Then everything else then falls around. But once this person makes the decision, some other things will some will open up. Some will close. You know, we'll we'll see what happens from there. But apparently, uh, John Hopkins. Uh, is just about ready to make a decision, or he, maybe he's made a decision, but said he will announce a decision at um, uh, at the Lautzet ring, or as he's called it earlier, the the sausage ring. I like it, I, that, you know. And I'm never going to be able to remember the the correct name of that track again. And it's just going to be the sausage ring from now on. So, uh, whoever whoever's responsible that for that over at Ride On Two, well, damn you and thank you at the same time. Um. Supposedly, he has offers on the table from from Kawasaki, from Suzuki, and uh, from Tectois. So I was about to say someone else, but no, it was Tectois. Odds are that he'll stay with Suzuki if I had to, you know, if I was throwing, if I, if I was laying money on it, I'll say he's going to stay with Suzuki. Um, obviously, the other places are going to drive up his his price tag, which is fine. Um, but the odds are he's been with Suzuki long enough. He's been heavily involved in the development design and development of that bike. I got to believe that he's going to want to see that all the way through, unless there's something weird going on behind the scenes that, you know, no one else knows about, um, where he thinks this is the, you know, it's, it's peaked here. So anyways, um, David Emmett has some interesting things, um, about Tectois in this week's uh, or this today's post over at Kropotkin Thanks or MotoGP Matters, whichever you decide you you prefer typing into your uh, browser or where you have it bookmarked. Same all gets to the same web page. He seems to believe that Tectois would go to Michelin's next year, especially since they seem to be uh, going after some pretty big names uh, with. Hopper being one, possibly Colin Edwards going over there. Uh, certainly not out of the realm for Loris Caparossi to maybe end up over there. One or two other people as well. And he seems to think they're go- they're leaning Michelin for tires. I understand that, and if Edwards to go over there, I certainly could see them go. You know, dropping Dunlop and going to Michelin. I would. I'm still of the opinion, personally. Oh, I'm sorry, Lorenzo. That's the other. Uh, that's the other person who's heavily rumored to be over there. Although it's, uh, I thought I'd, it had been pretty much decided that he's going to be on Rossi's team, but who knows? Yeah, a lot of stuff like that's still up in the air. Anyways, um, I'm still thinking that they are going to end up going Bridgestone for this reason. Um, Yamaha and kind of hedging their bets, or at least wanting data from from two different data points, uh, much like Honda did. Uh, letting Grassini go to Bridgestones. Yamaha might uh, want Tectois to go to Bridgestones given um, just, to, just to get that different data point, uh, hedge their bets. Although uh, Tectois being a French team, Michelin being French tires, obviously there, there's the connection there. And if um, if they can get money from, from Michelin, uh, or at least don't get charged up the Yang for, for tires... I could I could see that going a little French nationalistic pride. Who knows? Uh, Gintoli is certainly staying with it. I don't know that he has a multiple year contract, but he's done very well. 
Uh, certainly everyone is very pleased with his progress this year and his results, so he's, I'm sure he's going nowhere on that team. So, I mean, French rider on a French team with French tires, I could I could definitely see that being a, a large attraction. Uh, Randy Depunye, well, no, that's Kawasaki. Where am I going with that one? I don't know. Um, lost my train of thought once again. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so Tectois, uh, anyways, I'm sorry, David thinks, seems to think Michelin is heavily favored, and I can understand his thinking. I, I'm still thinking Bridgestone, who knows, I guess that'll that'll sort itself out here very, in the very near future, probably right around Brno would be would be the guess. Just remembered, uh, World Superbike, I don't have it written down, but uh, certain things are starting to click in my head. Uh, World Superbikes are going to be testing at uh, Vallelunga, which is 30 kilometers outside of Rome. That'll be the first time World Supers are testing in mass. There, Biaggi is ridden there. They, his debut test, whatever outing with the All Star Suzuki team was at that, and that, didn't that draw like twenty five or thirty thousand people? So you can imagine the crowd that that's going to draw. I have no idea what this track looks like or its facilities, but you've got uh, Biaggi and then Fabrizio, who's also a Roman. And it seemed, who else out there? Someone else is a Roman as well. Um, so that that should be a hugely attended race. And you got to imagine there's going to be fifty, sixty thousand people showing up for that event. And there, or once they, I'm sorry, once they race the test, you know, not so much. But anyways, and oh, um, what do we got? Hop or um. Pedroza's been making noise, as we've talked about, about leaving Honda, but it sounds from everything else that he'll be re-signed. Um, and we'll talk about that here, because we've got a lot of stuff to talk about Assen. So let's uh, let's hear from the Motorcycle Podcast uh, boys, or at least a couple of them anyways, and then we will get to talking about Assen. Listen up, everyone. If you ride a sport bike and you're not listening to the Knee Dragon podcast, you're not getting the whole story. The Knee Dragon podcast is motorcycle talk that doesn't suck. We cover all things sport bike related, from superbike and MotoGP racing to the newest street sport bikes, from riding technique to the latest technology. If it affects our sport, it's in the show. So check it out. www.kneedragon.net Two hundred and forty horsepower, two hundred miles per hour, two wheels with no roll cage. This is the world of motorcycle road racing, the pinnacle of motorsport. I'm Bob Hayes, host of MotoGP OD, the podcast about motorcycle road racing. Tune in each week as we discuss what's happening in MotoGP, World Superbike, and AMA racing. Race reports, tech talk, opinion, reader email, we have it all. Just go to www.motogpod.com and subscribe. Okay, so Assen the legendary MotoGP race, and as everyone was saying, every announcer saying over the weekend, the only uh, race on the MotoGP calendar that has been raced at the same track every year, excuse me, post-World War II, or in basically since the inception of the MotoGP, the Motorcycle World Championship, various incarnations that it's been known throughout the years. Obviously, some of the Big stories coming out. We've already talked about uh, Tony Elias and uh, his crash. Some uh, interesting people showing up over the weekend. 
where both the CEO of Honda itself and then the president of Honda Motors. So two uh, two big hitters uh, at the track over the weekend, seeing what's going on. And I guess they were headed to Magna Cour for the F1 race on Sunday. Uh, but they were hanging out uh, Friday and Saturday anyways at, uh, at Assen there. Some interesting things that they can take away from this. Uh, number one, and we'll talk a little bit about this when we talk about the 250 race. Uh, if they want their 250 bikes to be competitive, they need to start uh, kicking the engineers in the ass because Davizioso has been riding the hell out of that thing all year round. And, you know, he's riding that bike at 110%, 115%. And it's it's just not enough. Nowhere near enough. Um, the Aprilias are just way too good for him. So, or you know, the I'm not not saying not taking away anything from from DeAngelis, from uh, uh, Batista and uh, and George, but uh, those bikes are just you know way faster. And he's he's literally overriding the hell out of that bike just to just to be as good as he is. Um, I think Toby and Julian pointed out that uh, while. Dovey was was fourth, and the first Honda. The next one was Shuyama in. Oops, actually, I have the results here. Don't guess. You've got it here. Two fifty race was. Uh, hold on, Dovey, heroes on the KTM, Simoncelli, Barbara. Those are both uh, Aprilia's Calio KTM. Look at. Tally is on an Aprilia Takahashi. So maybe 11th spot, 11th or 12th spot, but over 30 seconds behind Dovey? I mean, come on. That's, that, that Maybe that tells you the level that he's riding that bike at. So anyways. Wait, was I looking at the right thing? I had to be looking at the right thing. Yeah, I was looking at the right thing. Okay. Seconds back so Dovey was 17 seconds back. You know, Aikland's called 18 seconds back from, from Lorenzo. And then going to 10th. Oh, more than that. Probably over probably over a minute ahead. So, anyways. Toby, correct me. You can send me an email and, and tell me how off I was on that. So, Although I think you're busy with uh, F1 at Silverstone this weekend. So... Uh, yeah. So, uh, if they didn't notice that one, that one was staring in the eye, staring them in the face... Um, I guess the other thing they saw was that uh, maybe you should listen to your right or, or I'm sorry, they, the other thing they saw is once you listen to your riders, because they actually might know what the hell they're talking about, results begin to follow. And what do I mean by that? Well, look at the results of one uh, Nick Hayden, not only at, um, at, uh, at Donington the previous week uh, in, the, in, the dry, in, the, in the wet and in the dry, and Nicky was going much better. You know, you give him the chassis. Like I said, you give him the chassis with the changes he's been asking, except you give it to the Hobbit first, and then you get around to giving it to Nick. Um, you, you dial back the traction control, and you let Nick be Nick and, and ride the bike the way that he know, the way that he needs to ride the bike. And and it's amazing how results begin to happen. You know, uh, in in qualifying, obviously, it didn't come out so good. But then it was a wet qualifying. Friday, or excuse me, Thursday practice. He was, he was definitely up there in the dry. Friday, everyone qualified in the wet, and yes, the grid was a little upside down. Uh, but come Saturday, 
He started, oops, where do we go? Nick was started 13th and ended up third. You know, obviously Rossi started 11th and, and won the damn race. And we're going to talk about some circumstances around that. But, um, you know, it's we're beginning to see some, you know, light at the end of the tunnel for Mr. Hayden, which is cool. Um, certainly unabashed Nicky Hayden fans here at Rumble Strip Radio. Can I say he's our favorite MotoGP rider? I don't know. He's I can't pick one favorite MotoGP rider at the moment. There's three or four that are certainly you know in my top tier, and, and Nick would be one. Um, and Casey Stoner being another one. And no, I'm not a Johnny Come Lately to Stoner. I was the when, once I really saw him ride a MotoGP bike at Qatar last year. I was immediately a Stoner fan. So, uh, and I think we're on record going way back to one of some of the first shows. Uh, about talking about that. So, anyways, um, now we talk about dry, wet, dry for uh, for the weekend. So the 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 race was in the dry. It was good. I think we pretty much saw what we expected in the dry. Um, both uh, both Rossi and Nikki had some had some great starts from the race. Well, um, let's through qualify. Let's just run down qualifying real quick, and we'll talk about the race. Uh, being in the wet, no surprise. Uh, Christopher Mullen on top in the wet. Um, okay, that's a misprint there. Uh, Stoner was second. He's shown that he can ride in the wet. Um, uh, Depunier, Melandry, uh, Hopper, Colin Edwards in sixth, West, Anthony West in seventh, uh, the Hoff in eighth, the Hobbit in ninth, uh, Caparossi was tenth. And then Rossi, Barros, Hayden, Curtis Roberts, nice, 14th. Nakano, Cheka, Gintoli, and then uh, Tamada. Now, technically, Tamada did not make the 100%, 107% cutoff once again, uh, but they let him in the field uh, to race anyway. So, uh, as we said, the start, uh, both um, Rossi and Nikki got some excellent starts, and you watch uh, the start it into turn one, and you you saw Nick nail about five spots right from the outside, on the right from the right from the beginning, passing people on the outside. Um, and like I said, he's starting to get comfortable on the bike again. The bike's feeling the way it needs to, so he can start doing some of the stuff that, well, we know Nicky can do. And there were a few passes uh, throughout the race that he was he backed it in and and made some made some nice nice passes and and definitely was challenging once again challenging people multiple times uh, on the outside and and making a couple of those things stick. So uh, at the uh, at the start, Stoner got uh, got the great start and. Threatened to run away with the race, got about a second, second and a half lead, and then held that for quite a while. Um, Rossi, you know, decent, I can't say great start, good start for him. Took him a few laps to get going, about four or five laps to to get comfortable, and then he, he really started his charge through the field. Um, got behind Stoner and then pretty much stalked him for almost two-thirds of the race till the last three laps. Three, four laps of the race. Sorry, I don't. I didn't really take notes to watching the race this this time. I just sat and watched it um, before he finally got around him. Now, what I will say about the race is this: I've seen a couple people say that the race was boring. Um, I thought the race was quite good from from the standpoint of drama. There, I will agree, there wasn't uh, a ton of passing. You know, a lot of or you know, a lot of swapping back and forth. Not so much of that, but what I thought was really good was the lead two. You know, the charge of Rossi through the field. You know, 
Um, for me, a little bit, the, the charge of Hayden through the field and, and the coming of Nick once again there. Um, so that was good. That was a great storyline, just watching those guys in their element feel, you know, and really feeling it. Um, and then Rossi stalking Stoner and Stoner really not blinking at all once again. Now, Rossi did get by Stoner, and after the race, Stoner said a few things, and, and I'll, I'll take it as this. Number one, it was a little bit windy. Ducati's got a big fairing, and it was blowing him around a little bit. Um, Mike was spinning up a little bit at the end, more so than normal. Okay, um, But the, the I think the real issue was that, and I have a lot of people talking, is the fuel situation. Now, we've talked about... Uh, you know, everyone thought that Ducati was going to have a problem finishing races because they were making so much power they weren't going to be able to make it through a race. We talked about their fuel injection system, so after about halfway, it runs at a certain level for the first half of the race, and then it begins monitoring and calculating uh, from that point forward, trying to um, try to you know, what kind of fuel it needs to make the last half of the race. And in the last couple laps, you can say that that Stoner maybe just had that little bit less power. And because uh, the fuel was backed off, and that was maybe borne out by the fact that he didn't make it halfway around the cooldown lap, he was he was out of gas. Now, what we don't know is how, you know, was that fuel tank completely topped off? You know, did they not put the full five and a half, 21 liters or five and a half gallons of fuel in it? Who knows? Hard to say. Um, but they weren't the only ones that have fuel problems because Nikki ran out of gas on the last lap as well. So yeah, a little bit of little bit interesting there. Now that is not to take away one little bit from Rossi. I don't know that you know had had everything you know had had Stoner had a full tank of fuel and not had you know been backed off by power. Could he have held off or beaten Rossi? Hard to say. It would have been maybe been a little closer than what it was. Uh, I'll be honest with you. But it might have been one of those things where Rossi was just not going to be denied. He was so strong through the whole race, and you know, and, and the fact that he made the charge through, he made it up. Uh, I'm not going to say he rested, but sat back there a little bit, cooled his tires because he certainly worked his tires hard charging through the field, stalked, stalked Stoner, and then made it through. And, you know, that was to me that was the drama of the race. I thought it was really good. Some people didn't think so. Sorry. But um, I thought it was pretty good. The uh, The other interesting thing for me was the fact that... Um, uh, I'm sorry, just looking at where people started from. Um, Nick made it around Danny relatively early in the race and then kept Danny behind him for the entire race. Danny was up there for a while, but Nick pulled away from him, especially the last six or seven laps. You know, Danny was right there with him, not, you know, a couple tenths behind, but by the end, Nick had him by, uh, let's see, four and a half seconds almost, four, four and a half seconds. That's a pretty good gap for someone who is is literally on the same equipment you are and that the bike, I'm sorry, I'm, one, I'm, a, I'm of the conspiracy theory that that bike was designed for Danny. And Nick has come out and said, not in these words, but, you know, he said, well, the bike certainly wasn't designed around me. That's a very nice way of saying that Honda designed a bike for Danny. So, anyways, enough of that. Uh, but that was that was the other thing that was really impressive was the fact that Nick, 
basically he gapped his teammate. He, I mean, he he didn't just you know he he beat his teammate, but he beat his teammate full up in front of the and in front of the big Honda bosses too. So I'm not going to say that was a big fu to them, but that was one of those. That's one of those ones where you kind of um, you kind of smile, you kind of have a little smile on your face, and kind of walk by him, and you give him the "How's it going?" You know, kind of that knowing look on your face, like doesn't matter that I'm not your favorite boy, I beat your favorite boy. So, um, and how uh, how big was that for Nick? You know, his first shot on the first time on the podium all year. Um, first time on the podium since uh, Valencia last year. Well, you know, basically that was the last race of last year. First time been on the podium. Oh. Um, he, I think the relief was huge. Obviously, he was up there having a good time, uh, having fun. The, you know, he took the helmet off of one of the uh, the podium girls there as they were spraying the champagne and. Uh, you know, just big, big shit-eating grin on his face. That was it was good to see. So I mean, it's good to see that he's uh, back on form and he's obviously back enjoying himself and back enjoying racing. So so huge props to Nick on that. And and like I said, yes, we are a bit of a Nicky fanboy, but you know, it, it's good. I mean, it's I look at it as good in the in the fact of you don't want a guy who was your world champion last year to then be a non-factor for the rest of the year. And I can't say that Nicky's going to be a factor the rest of the year, but given that he finished on the podium Assen, the next two tracks that we're going to, um, are certainly good tracks for Nick, the, the sausage ring and well, absolutely, uh, Laguna Seca, he, you know, his chances for the title this year, zero. All right, let's be honest. But if he can have a strong second half of the year, that not vindication, but at least he will have put up a fight in in some sense, or at least he's a factor in it. So you can't just dismiss him as it was a one year thing. Rossi had bad luck, so he, that if he's a factor, if he's on the podium, or at least in the top five consistently again, um, it's good for the sport too because you need you don't want. You know, there's obviously a lot of Honda people out there. There's a lot of anti-Honda people. But what you want to see is that Honda is a factor. You don't want to see that. I mean, in some ways, you you sort of like, ah, Honda finally getting a little bit of what they've been dishing out for years. On the other side of it, they're very important to the sport. So you want to see them um, up there involved and competitive because it's it's good for the sport. It literally is good for the sport. So the um, the race itself... Your finals in the race, obviously we talked about Rossi Stoner and Hayden, then Pedrosa. Hopkins, not too far. Decent, good race for John. Not a fabulous race, but but not bad. So Hopkins in fifth. Colin Edwards in sixth. Again, a lonely ride in sixth, but, you know, it was, it's, it's a, well, it's a great track for Colin, and I actually sort of expected him to do a little bit better than that. But, you know, second place last week in the rain, at uh, at Donington, sixth. You know, if, if Colin can at least get a little consistency here in the second half of the year, that'd be really nice to see. And I do want to say that as atrocious as I thought the Hondas were at the beginning of the weekend, they certainly grew on me throughout the weekend to the point of, 
um, I almost liked them. And by the way, the the line of the weekend goes to the goes to the Eurosport boys, uh, the the trio of of Toby, Julian, uh, and Randy, it, uh, joking about the 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 bike and the leathers, and and I can't think of who said what exactly, but it went along the lines of. Uh, you certainly wouldn't be wearing those. You, you certainly couldn't get away wearing those leathers into into a pub. And then someone else said, you know, un- unless you're in San Francisco. <laughs> and then I think someone else said, or you're Valentino Rossi, which is all of them being true. But that was that was pretty much the line of the weekend. I think that was in Saturday qualifying. It might have been Friday. Or, I'm sorry, Saturday race, Friday qualifying, Thursday practice. I, I don't remember which one that was Thursday or Friday, but classic line, guys. Very, very classic line. So and then Anthony West, very, very solid in seventh spot. And I think and news out of the Kawasaki pit is that they are hugely uh, impressed with Anthony West and that performance. Not, you know, obviously he he's known as a rain rider, and you could almost, uh, I can't say it was expected that he would do well at Donington in the rain uh, but I think they're happy with that, even though he crashed out, he remounted, didn't give up, and, and had, a, had a good finish at Donington in the rain. The, the fact that he finished seventh in the dry uh, was also huge for him. The um, other interesting thing out of uh, Ant West was, uh, were his comments after the race, uh, talking to Randy Mamola, and uh, that was quite interesting. He said that he was really, really going to have to work on his, his fitness between uh, between Assen and uh, the Lao Ring, Sausage Ring, as we're now calling it, uh, you know, he's, he said uh, while he could ride a 250 bike all day long, that that riding the the 800, well, not exact quote, but basically kicked his ass, and that he was absolutely beat. So he was really going to have to uh, step up his training over the next couple of weeks, so that he could uh, give a good account for himself at um, in Germany. So that's. It was, it was quite interesting, but um, you know, it's one of the things you got to like about Ant West. Uh, you know, he's he's got a lot of gruff in the, in, or a lot of feedback in the past. A lot of people not necessarily liking because he's been critical of machinery he rides, but he's he's tries to be honest, and that's one of the things that I I don't know I, I get a kick out of. He's just pretty much going to tell it like it is, and if you like it, great, and if you don't, okay, no problem. So. I'm sure that Kawasaki will be working with him to clean that up a little bit, but let's hope he doesn't really change a whole lot. So, uh, very, very good showing from West in uh, in seventh. Uh, the Hoff was in eighth, so really good performance for him. Uh, I'm sorry, whoops, wrong one. Race. There we go. I'm sorry, I had that wrong. Edwards was sixth. Barros was seventh. Uh, the Hoff was eighth. Where did West Anthony finish? Oh, he finished ninth. I'm sorry. Um... So Barros and Hoff, 7th, 8th, uh, Anthony West, 9th, uh, Melandry in 10th, so another basically lackluster finish for Marco. Uh, Check in 11th, Nakano 12th, Tomata 13th, uh, Gintoli in 14th, Roberts in 15th, uh, uh, Vermeulen in 16th, and those were the finishers there. Um, and Elias, uh, Elias crashed. Uh, Elias almost took out Vermeulen. That was that was a pretty good get together there um, between those two. And the fact that Chris was able to keep it up was was, was pretty good. Uh, you're you're standing so far in uh, MotoGP. Rossi able to pull a few points back, uh, but Stoner still up by uh, 21 points. So 185 to 164. 
Pedroso back there at 119, not out of it, but unless those guys take each other out, uh, you know, it's basically between Stoner and Rossi. Hopkins, 94 points. Vermeulen in fifth with 88. Marco Melandri in sixth with 87. Colin, uh, last two races obviously helping his cause up to seventh now with 75. Barros in eighth with 69. Nick, obviously last, uh, this helped his, uh, helped him hugely. Uh, he's now in the top 10. He's up to ninth, actually tied uh, for ninth with Loris. Uh, they're both on 57 points. The Hoff is sitting there at 53. Um, so Barros at 69. Ooh, wow. We could almost have both Dantine, uh, depending on the results here for, at, uh, in Germany, Germany, we might have both Dantine, Dantine bikes ahead of Caparossi. So uh, Caparossi is not long for Ducati. You just it, It's sort of a given that he will not be with the team now after after this year. So uh, Elias in 12th with 49. You know, he won't be scoring points for a little bit now. Uh, Depunier with 40 points in 13th. Cheka, 25 points in 14th. Nakano, 25 points in 15th. Uh, Tamada with 20 in 16th. Gintoli, 18 points in uh, in 17th position there. So team team standings, uh, Marble Ducati just ahead of the Fiat Yamaha by three points, 242 to 239. Rizla Suzuki at 182. And then Repsol Honda in fourth spot at 176. Uh, Premek knocking hard on, on the door for fifth. They're uh, 122 to Grassini's 136. That would be a big, uh, that'd be big for them if they can get uh, those 14 points, 15 points in a sense to get around them. And then a big, uh, big drop off. Uh, Kawasaki in seventh with 61. Tectois with 38. Kanaka Minolta 25. LCR 25 as well. And then Roberts with eight. MotoGP manufacturer standing. Ducati 188. Yamaha 177. Honda 149, Suzuki 122, Kawasaki 56, and then Roberts with 8. So, 250 race. Bit of a snoozer. Not just, you know, with the exception of uh, of Bautista, you know, making a couple pretty bold moves and, and making his way through the through there. Um, you know, not so much. Jorge, I mean, he didn't run away with the race, but he basically controlled the race. And... Uh, you know that was that was pretty much it. So uh, Lorenzo, D'Angelo, Bautista, Dovi. We talked about him with a good ride for fourth. Then there was a, a ways back then to uh, Oyama in fifth, Simoncelli sixth, Barber in seventh, Calio eighth, Locatelli ninth, Takahashi in tenth. And your points, Jorge, um, stretching uh, stretching his lead back out again after it shrunk when, in his crash from from Donington one seventy eight to one fifty five over Dovi. Uh, D'Angelo is actually tied. Uh, with Dovi for second there at 155, then Bautista at 116, uh, Barbara with 80, uh, Julian Simon who with you know pulled out of the race with 61, Calio 58, Ludi 56. He obviously uh, had a very frustrating race, pounding the tank and you know, pulled in. Uh, Hiroyama finally getting in, you know, a couple good finishes in a row. He's up to ninth, uh, and he is now ahead of his brother in points. Shui is in tenth with 51. Uh, you know, it's funny. I haven't watched the last one, two, last two one, two, five races. Don't ask me why I haven't. But Pasini, maybe, maybe Pasini should pay me not to watch races because the last two one, two, five races I haven't watched, he's won. Go figure. Of course, he's. I'm watching them long after he's done racing. But there you go. Uh, pretty much dominated uh, that race. Uh, Faubel and Talmashi photo finish, um, second and third, and. Um, 
Actually, that was a pretty good, uh, pretty good group. Then Gadea and Corsi uh, were right, uh, right there with each other. Koyama sixth, Peshik in seventh, Cortese eighth, uh, Ransetter in uh, ninth, and Brottle in tenth. Your points: Faubel one thirty-eight over one thirty-one for Talmashi. Gadea one hundred five, Peshik one hundred three, Koyama ninety-eight, Corsi ninety-seven, Passini sixty-six. Amazing what two wins will do to your points total. And probably went from what fifteenth to seventh in two races. Uh, Olive and uh, Bradley Smith, who looks to be out because he uh, crashed and hurt himself pretty good. Um, they're they're tied up at eighth with sixty-three points, and then uh, Esparago or Espargo or whichever pronunciation you prefer, tenth with sixty-two points. So that takes care of Assen, and then they've got this week off after, in a sense, literally back-to-back races, and um, then they go to. The Deutschland for the next round. So uh, let's hear from uh, Timothy Pilgrim over the Twisted Wrist, who just put out a new show this past week and uh, gave us an update on his condition. Sounds like he's doing pretty good. And I know I called him Tim Campbell during the show. That's because on Skype he comes up as Tim Campbell, even though it's Timothy Pilgrim. Long story. Wasn't paying so much attention. There you go. So it's Timothy Pilgrim, Twisted Wrist, accident a couple weeks ago. Sounds like he's doing a lot better. Um, But here you go. Calling all Canadians, do you ride a bike on the back of a bike or daydream about either one? Do you like to lumber along on a Sunday morning or scrape your pegs in the twisties? Do you like to dodge sand dunes or ford rivers? Well, if you answered yes to any of the above, then why not give a listen to the Twisted Wrist podcast? The Twisted Wrist is the first podcast dedicated to the Canadian rider from a Canadian perspective. So why not toss on your jacket and gloves, lace up your boots, strap on your lid, and plug into the Twisted Wrist? Your ticket to Northern Adventure is at twistedwrist.blogspot.com. The Twisted Wrist, podcasting with a mouthful of bugs. Also do want to give uh, a call out to the side stand cafe. Uh, the show is uh, posted, actually came out earlier this week, Monday, I think Monday it came out. At least it came out if you subscribe to it through, via iTunes and then was posted Tuesday, late Tuesday, uh, up on the website. So... Go check it out. It's show number three of the Sidestand Cafe. It's myself, uh, Mark Cook, who many of you may know from writing it, uh, motorcyclist and sport writer. Uh, I think he's done some stuff at Cycle World, too. Uh, basically freelancing these days. He wrote a really good book on the GSXRs. Uh, so he's part of that whole group. So him, myself, uh, Ray Duvall, and then Nate, uh, who many of you know from... From Motocast, uh, we all did sort of a roundtable discussion about track days and track schools. So go have a listen over at Sidestand Cafe and make sure that you do subscribe to uh, to that. Uh, basically, I think they've got the iTunes. I'm not sure if they got an RSS link for it, but certainly have the iTunes link. And also, don't forget to subscribe to our show via iTunes or your RSS reader. That's how the majority of everyone's listening to it. I'd say two-thirds of the people... Do it through via subscription, and then about another third. Just, I'm not sure they're going to it uh, on the site, uh, or they're. No, it's. Anyways, I'd, well, probably two thirds via iTunes or different aggregator, and then uh, and then the other third of you on an RSS aggregator, and then just download it that way. Sorry, that's probably the better better way of how it's going. Anyways, on to uh, the Canuck the Canuckers. They had a. Uh, doubleheader round at Calgary last weekend, and surprising absolutely no one 
it was a uh, it was a Jordan Zoke weekend, uh, at least for the super bikes. Uh, Saturday's race, it was Zoke, uh, just just nipping Clint McBain, point one five five at the stripe there, um, so about a bike length. That must that actually so it was pretty good, pretty good running, uh, no gaps from from here on out. But then uh, uh, Francis Martin also finished on the box on Saturday. Brett McCormick who. You know, I'm hearing a lot of good things from up north about him, the 15-year-old uh, from Saskatoon, and I'm think I'm gonna really try to uh, get with him and and talk to him and interview him, see if we can get him on the show, because he uh, supposed to be he's supposed to be something else. And I guess if you're 15 years old and you're you're well on the almost on the box on Saturday, actually Saturday and Sunday, um, that says a lot for you. So McCormick fifth. Uh, Crevier in fifth. This is Saturday's Matthew McBride sixth. Andrew Nelson in seventh. Lacombe in eighth. Uh, Beaujour in uh, uh, ninth. And then Jean-Paul Taché in tenth. And then on Sunday, oops, let's go here. Sunday's round. It was uh, Zoke once again uh, by a couple seconds over Lacombe. And then uh, Francis Martin was uh, on the podium on Sunday. Then McCormick, Crevier. McBain, Nelson, Bourgeois, Taché, and then uh, Danny Jordan. Jordan. Your, uh, it was a doubleheader for the 600s as well. Saturday was a Zoke weekend uh, as he, uh, let's see, what do we got here? He nipped uh, Andrew Nelson by about two-tenths of a second at the stripe there uh, for a second. And then Brett McCormick on the podium in 600. Uh, Crevier in fourth, Lacombe in fifth, and uh, uh uh, Carl Dagel, Dagel, I can't remember how to pronounce his name, uh, was sixth. Jean Ross McCray, seventh. Uh, Stephen Chabot in eighth. Alain, Alain LaRoche in ninth. And uh, Francis Martin in tenth. Sunday's 600 race was Steve Crevier back on top of the box once again in 600. Jordan, uh, about a second back there in second. Francis Martin, third. Brett McCormick, fourth. Kevin Lacombe, fifth. Matt McBride, sixth. Andrew Nelson seventh, uh, Jeremy Stepper in eighth, Carl Dag, 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 whatever. Carl, you were in ninth, and then uh, John Ross McCray in tenth. So those guys have a few weeks. Um, actually, next week will be maybe if you're listening to the show, it'll be a few days from now. Depends on when you listen to the show. Uh, but that will be Mossport. And like I said, I'm heading up there very, very early Friday morning. We'll be there before lunch on Friday. Not sure if I'm actually going to be end up working on Friday, but certainly Saturday and Sunday will be working hard, uh, both in the pits and uh, calling the action from the top of turn two. With myself, uh, 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 Pat Gonzalez, and I'm not sure who the third person is going to be uh, this year who will be calling the action from down in Mosses. But uh, anyways, yeah, should be good. I'm actually looking really, really, I've been looking forward to that. I missed out last year, uh, working last year, do some family things I had to take care of, which was a big bummer. I really, really love going to that, uh, going out there, love the people, like the series, love the track. So seriously, if you guys are from the U.S., you're from... You know, around Detroit, Cleveland, Buffalo, somewhere within an hour or two of the border, a couple hours of the border. Take a ride up to Mossport. It's not a bad ride. Uh, it's a beautiful track. It's it, absolutely beautiful track. Um, and and you, you'll have a great time. It's, it's, the Canadian guys do a really good job 
for the series that it is. It's actually a really small series. There's not a lot of money involved, but they do a really good job. So, anyways, not to shill for them because I'm you know not getting paid to shill for them. But, anyways, um, the last bit for today. Oh, not too bad. We're about an hour into this and go off on about my five minute take here. Uh, has to do with the Honda situation for MotoGP at Laguna. Now, when this seat came open, I guess let's let's take a step back. The the rules at Dorna say that you're allowed only one race uh, to not field two riders if you have a two rider team uh, on the field. So let's say you have a rider injured. If it's short notice or whatever, one you know you can do one race without it, but you can't go multiple races in a row with just one rider, one bike. You have to put someone else on the on the second bike. So that's that's why the situation is the way it is with with the Grassini team with with Tony Elias being out for a while here now. And as we said, Michelle Fabrizio is going to take the take the race at the at the Lautzit Ring, and then that leaves what's going to happen at. At Laguna for a couple things. One, it's a conflicting weekend with World Superbikes, and um, obviously there's a lot of talk that Toslin might have a shot at that ride. But given that he's leading the championship in World Superbike, and even though he's he's done good, he's done well at Laguna in the past. Um, you know, his priority is winning a World Superbike championship. First, second, third, whatever, in, in infinite, infinite, into infinity and beyond. Um, so he was obviously out for, for Laguna. And then, so you got a lot of other options of who, who can you put on there? Now, everyone seems to think, and, and this is somewhat true, that track knowledge is key uh, at Laguna. And, and it is true because there are some very, very specific lines, specific ways around that track that can make a huge difference in lap times. And when I say huge, I'm talking two or three tenths. And two or three tenths at Laguna is, is a huge amount because that track is so tight. Um, I'd say the two or three key things to that are, are turn one, which really isn't as much a turn as it is a kink over a crest. Um, you're kind of charging uphill. It kinks a little bit to the left and then uh, goes downhill, but that's that's essentially turn one. It's a blind deal. You just got to go. You, you kind of got to, I can't say close your eyes and just point it in the right direction. That's pretty much what you do through there. Um, turn two maybe not as critical because everyone pretty much knows that, but it's, it's, if you get in too hot, you're going to screw yourself up uh, because it's, you know, it's a, the Andretti curves there. Um, there's, there's very, it's very much a double apex type of deal through there. And if you don't get that quite right, you really can screw yourself up. And then the other big thing to me is well, there's two other points. One is turn uh, three, four, five, I believe when you, as you start uphill six, not so much, uh, which is sort of another kink as you as you're climbing uphill towards the corkscrew. But at the top, and then I haven't been to it since they reconfigured a little bit and they leveled it off a little bit, kind of killed a little bit. But there is a very there's actually two lines through the corkscrew. There is the traditional line and then there's the Bostrom line. And if you don't know what the Bostrom line is, then I'm sorry I can't help you because it's hard to describe. But basically, let's say it's just a it's it's a severe inside line. That's available all day and all night to be taken because everyone just thinks that there's the one line through there. Um, now, it causes you to kind of go against the normal flow of things where everyone else is going, um, not only through the top of the corkscrew, but as you carry your momentum through there. But if you do it right, you can literally have a, 
really, really strong drive in a much straighter manner down the corkscrew. So those are the key areas to me at Laguna. And then unless you've gone around there a number of times or really paid attention and broken down some tape. Um, anyway, so I can see where Honda would want um, someone with a, some intimate track knowledge to put on the bike. So the story goes that... Um, Calls were made back and forth, I'm not sure, between Honda Europe. It sounds like Honda Europe and Honda America saying, hey, you got anyone um, that maybe we could put on the bike? And I think the idea was to put Zemke in, but then someone went to Miguel Duhamel, and Duhamel said, well, yeah, you don't have to test me twice, and why would you? Um, so obviously some very strong rumors started by, well, someone who's I'm, – I'm, well, let's just – oh, well, let's just flat out say it. Dean Adams is – for good or for bad, um, and a lot of things that Dean does, um, I would say, I would call Dean a Miguel shill. Now, Dean literally worships the ground that Miguel walks on. In fact, I was very, very surprised when Dean and Leah um, gave birth to, or Leah gave birth to another uh, another son, a second son for them, uh, a couple weeks ago. They named him Scooter. I was very, very surprised his name was not Miguel, or Michael at least. Um, you know, they named their first first son, uh, Kip, because Kip and Dean are really, re Tom Kip are, are really good friends, but uh, Miguel is a very close second in my mind. Um, he's, Dean is a huge, huge, huge Miguel fan, all right, just flat out. And I'm not sure if that comes from his, you know, he was a big fan of Yvonne, Yvonne Duhamel, I think he was, and then just sort of continued on to Miguel. Anyways, regardless. Um, so Dean started a lot of stuff, and that really got the interwebs boiling and message boards flying because um, first it was Zemke and the news came out it was going to be Zemke and then it was Duhamel and no one knows what the hell's going on and blah 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 and nothing's been confirmed so at this point nothing has been confirmed to who's going to get it but it looks like it's somewhat pointing at Miguel and that's where I'm scratching my head on this one for 10 different reasons but we'll just break it down to a few on this one um, Miguel is old Okay, um, Miguel could be anywhere between about 38, 39, and about 42, I think. And I'm not really joking when I say this. He's got multiple birth certificates, or at least through the years, he's put some different years on that birthday. And I think the official one says um, something about 1968 at this point. But if I'm not mistaken, it's been that number's been 65, 66, 67 before. I think it's been 69 at one point in time. Um, there's multiple years, and maybe the only people who really know how old Miguel are are Miguel and his parents. And I'm not joking when I say that. I'm dead, dead serious. If if someone's got some old guys from the AMA uh, from back in the in the mid 90s, I'd be very interested to see. I, I'll have to go back and look and see if I've got anything. I don't think I do anymore. I toss some stuff. Um, I'd be very interested to see something from, say, the mid-90s, what Miguel's birthday was listed at, at at that point in time. I really, really would be interested. So Miguel, let's say he's somewhere between 39 and 41 years old. Although I say, he's, I think I jokingly put him at 42 at one certain someplace. Does it make a lot of sense to put him on the bike? Now, Miguel has ridden MotoGP in the past, but it was for the, you know, in a sense, a French Yamaha team riding a, a rock chassis Yamaha 500 GP bike 
1992. So he's got no real experience with the bikes in any kind of reason, you know, 15 years. Okay. Now, granted, a talented rider should be able to get on anything and go well, but it's a bike he's not going to be familiar with. It's the bike he's not really going to be able to test beforehand. Um, And he's got to do all his, he's got to do his stuff for the AMA that weekend as well. So here's some reasons why I'm thinking it's not necessarily a good idea. Um, He's certainly in fantastic shape. Here's here's what I'll give Miguel credit. For as old as he is, maybe whatever, he's in phenomenal shape. He's still pretty damn fast. Um, The fact that he's not competitive on a superbike is certainly no fault of his own. He's uh, at least as competitive as his teammate, as he and Jake are pretty much pretty much been even all year round it's just the fact that suzuki and yoshimura suzuki's basically kicked everyone's ass for multiple years in a row just flat out so in some ways it's hard to say and with miguel not riding 600 this year the last couple years really um it's hard to judge where he ranks um you know if he's on the 600 and was racing against the likes of a a hacking and uh raj hayden and and josh hayes and a few others you could maybe get a better get better guess where his skill set is now I've seen some some people say that well you know he's so good on a smaller bike, um, and the eight hundreds are more like a you know in, in fit and style like a six hundred that that's why he may be strong. Well, it'd be great if he was currently racing a six hundred, but he's not. He's racing exclusively super bikes. So point counterpoint on that one. Anyways, uh, I'm just I don't know. Yeah, I. I I don't care how good a shape you're in, if you're riding a super bike and you got to ride the MotoGP, especially, I mean, think about it. Think about the comments that Anthony West made, Anthony West made after Assen. He can ride a 250 bike all day long. He's in good shape. He's 25 years old. And yet after riding the Kawasaki phone race, he was dead tired. So what's that going to say for a guy who, I don't care how good a shape he's in, um, you know, he's 15 years, you're 10 to 15 years older. Well, 25, 35, 30, yeah, you know, 15 years older. That's a lot. That's asking an awful lot. And the fact that Laguna, I'm not going to say it's going to be 110 degrees again this year. Um, you know, that must, not the best idea. I'm sorry. I just, I am of the opinion, and here's, here's where I'm going to differ from my wife. It seems, I am of the I'm, well, I'm not quite standing alone in my opinion on this based off of feedback I've seen off of four different web boards and just some general chatter is that everyone thinks that this is a great thing that Miguel's getting a chance to ride the bike. And I'll say, yeah, it's a great thing that he's getting a chance to ride the bike. I'm not going to disagree with that. And it's sort of a, one of those life, you know, you know, here's your gold watch as you as you go out the door type of things, um, you know, as a reward for years of loyal service and multiple championships. Although Honda's not usually known for doing that type of thing. Um, but given some of the other choices that are available, that are free to race that weekend, I think that Miguel is a bad choice for that. For many of the reasons that I've stated, and I'm going to add a few more. Um, number one, Miguel's never ridden Bridgestones. In fact, I don't know that he's ridden anything but Dunlops for almost 20 years now. Well, I take that back. Let's go... It, let's just say he's hasn't rid anything but Dunlop since at least 1992, and maybe as far back as 89 when 89, 89 or 90 when he rode uh, Yoshimura Suzuki 
And yes, Miguel actually won his first superbike race on a Yoshimura Suzuki, if memory serves correctly. But let's say that since 1989, he hasn't ridden anything from anything except Dunlops. Now, once again, a great rider. Tires shouldn't matter so much. But if you're used to a certain thing with the tires, the Bridgestone's going to be completely different. Okay. Now, who were some people who are available um, that weekend? Really got nothing else going on that could be available. Now, I will say that if it's going to be an American that you're going to put on the bike... I would say that Josh Hayes or Jake Zemke are would be better choices. They're younger. They're not spring chickens. They're both in their early 30s. I think they're both 31, 32 years old. So it's not like they see a future going in MotoGP. But it could be incentive, reward, call it what you will. Just maybe a better choice. They're certainly going to be as good around Laguna as Miguel, in my opinion. Anyways, especially with as on fire as Jake or uh, Josh has been uh, lately. Anyways. Uh, but the people who aren't doing anything that weekend, uh, I would say there are three people who are available that weekend who would be choices well ahead of Miguel. Um, number one, I'll put third on the podium, is uh, is Rhea. Uh, he was supposed to get a shot at Donington and didn't, and he's probably not in contention because for all the same reasons that uh, he wasn't at Donington, but I'll certainly put him in there. So you're really, your two main people who I think would be a better shot um, are these. Number two is going to be Andrea Davizioso. Number one, he's been hugely loyal to, to Honda. Um, he's been riding balls out all year on a way underpowered 250. I mean, we just talked about that at the race at Assen, and it's not, you know, multiple times this year. Uh, he's had to really, really, really ride that bike hard just to get on the podium. You know, sometimes he succeeds, sometimes he doesn't. Uh, and also, it's been strongly rumored for a while that Honda are looking to put him on a MotoGP bike to move him up. So if you want to get a flavor for what he can do on a MotoGP bike, this would be a good race to do it. Now, he doesn't know the track. I don't know that he's ever even seen the track other than maybe on PlayStation 2. But you know what? Some people, you know, maybe he's like a, I mean, Pedrosa had never seen that track before, what, last year? He did pretty damn well. So... I would say that Davizioso would be a good number two choice for that ride. He, he's a Honda person. He's a grand, he's one a top top Grand Prix racer, two fifty. Got to believe he'd do well in MotoGP. And if you're Honda, wouldn't you like to know what this kid has the possibility of doing on a MotoGP bike? I think those are three very strong reasons um, for Davizioso. Um, but my number one pick for who should have that bike is Neil Hodgson on multiple for multiple reasons. One, Hodgson typically does well both in World Superbike and in the AMA on that track. He has a lot of track. Now he's he's gotten a lot of laps around there. He's going to know that track. Maybe not like a Miguel who's raced at that track for 20 years. Um maybe not 20 years, but close enough. Okay, you get the idea, but he's got a lot of track knowledge. Um I believe he's every bit as good, if not better, than Miguel as a rider. Um, he has some MotoGP experience. Eh, maybe not so much. But this year, he's actually more familiar with the MotoGP bike because he's been testing Bridgestone tires, and he rode it, and he did the testing on a Ducati. So if a Ducati's not going to be handled, theoretically doesn't handle as well as a Honda, is more as a more, little bit more powerful bike. If he, if he could at least, if he could have ridden 
or you know who knows how he did, but let's just say that he did reasonably well test riding the Ducati on the Bridgestone tires, and you know in a sense sort of had a contract with with Bridgestone a little bit um, to test ride. Wouldn't that make the most sense? You know, there's some talk that he's going to get a ride on a Corona Honda Superbike for the weekend. I'm sorry. If your choices are riding between a third-string Honda Superbike, um, I'm not trying to discount uh, Tim Saunders and the boys over there in the Corona, Corona Honda team, but I'm just going to say that their equipment is very much less than. I mean, um, you know, they're not out there beating the MV Agustas all day, and, you know, the MVs aren't. Well, they're a little more than glorified super stock bikes. They've got some stuff going on with them, but, um, you know, Ferracci runs a pretty small operation. You'd think that uh, there's, they're supposedly getting some support from Honda, that they'd be finishing a lot better than what they are, okay? Let's just be honest. So, second string Honda, third string Honda, whatever. Your choices of doing that with a chance of finishing, I don't know, eighth, tenth, eighth, tenth, eighth, tenth position maybe, if you're riding the, uh, for the, uh, Superbike race, or you could get on a Grassini Honda in a MotoGP race and legitimately have a shot at the top five, if not a podium. You'd certainly have a chance at a podium. What would be better for your career looking forward? You want to get on a frontline bike on good tires in a premier series. What do you think the better choice would be? What do you think the better choice would be if you're Neil Hodgson? What do you think the better choice would be if you're Honda? Who do you think offers you the better opportunity to finish um, higher given the fact that you have an open seat? So that's that's my opinion. Like I said, I, I guess I'm out there a little bit, uh, at least on the American side of things. I just don't see if they give the seat to Duhamel, that's a good choice. I think there's certainly a lot better choices out there. I think Hodgson certainly is your number one choice. Uh, Davizioso being a very close number two. So with that, uh, wow, went, uh, went a lot longer on that than I thought. Uh, but let's, uh, let's wrap this thing up and let's get you out of here and on your way. So once again, all feedback, always welcome. Let me know what you think about, uh, about that, uh, open seat possibility for Laguna. Radio at gmail.com. Send all your feedback, whether it's positive, whether you disagree with me, whether you got some constructive feedback from me, whatever it is, send it on in. You can also go over to the website, www.rumblestripradio.com. You can leave comments there. Um, I always read the comments. I don't always reply to the comments, but I am reading them. So I guess I should probably do a better job at replying to them there. But um, leave some comments there. Please, please feel free. If you don't want to send an email, just go ahead and leave comments there. Um, Tell all your friends about the show. Let them know that they can just go over to the site. If they, they can listen to the show on the site for the first time, if they want, then they can subscribe. There's certainly the links there for either through iTunes or through your favorite RSS reader. The links are there to subscribe. Um, if nothing else, burn them a CD. You know, throw it on a throw a couple episodes on a USB key. You throw a couple episodes on a CD, however you like it, and uh, hand it off to your friends. Let them listen to it. Let them check it out. Spread the word and spread the gospel. So, outro music this week, very appropriate, I think, for the 4th of July. A little different twist on it, but very, 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 very famous piece of music to uh, to send you out and on your way. So, uh, go out there, have fun, be good, and until we talk to you again next week, most important, keep it on two wheels. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Oh, my God.